like we got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. We don't got time for that. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Hello. This is my final show. Oh. All about me. All about me. No, uh, Wait, every day it's all about you. I know, I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> no, it's it's uh, it's a sad day. It really sure. is. Yeah. Notice that. Sad day and a uh, bittersweet day, but sure. you know, yeah. we're not going to make it all about me. We're going to talk what we normally would. On all good show. things sometimes come to an end. That's right. Uh, so KU takes on Baylor tomorrow. That game can be heard right here on KLWN and our sister station 105.9 KISS. Pre-game 3.30, tip-off 5 o'clock. Super Bowl also takes place Sunday. Westwood One coverage starts at 1 o'clock here on KLWN. So we're going to be talking all about that on today's show, as you would uh, totally imagine. <laughs> is that what we do? Yeah. Talk about is. sports? Yeah. We do. We do. Wow. Uh, Graham Doran is going to join the show at 340. College basketball, bracketology. Lee pa- or, uh, Lee Sterling of Paramount Sports is going to hop on with us at 430. Did you almost call him Lee Paramount? I did. <laughs> Lee Sterling of Paramount Sports. Dude, honestly, if your last name was Paramount, that'd be pretty cool. Truly. Yeah. Or like if your last name was like Netflix or HBO. <laughs> That's right. Or Hulu. All right. Uh, college game day in town. KU takes on Baylor. Yeah. Should be a good crowd. Always is an Allen Fieldhouse. Maybe sure. a little extra jazzed up with college game day and everything. Maybe a little yep. extra jazzed up coming off a loss. Very similar to last week in both of those ways. Yep. But a very different opponent. That's true. When you look at the Baylor Bears. But first question, how important is this game? Oh, man, this game is, it's everything. For KU, it's everything, right? You are sitting at 6-4 and four in Big 12 play through 10 games. You have a team like Houston that is in front of you in the standings that is the type of team that it's tough to figure out if they're going to lose very many more games. On top of that, especially in a season like this and with the, some of the struggles KU has had on the road, you absolutely, it's it's a requirement at this point that you finish out undefeated at home it that's i mean that is that is a requirement that is no longer well hopefully we can go nine and oh or maybe eight and one no you must go nine and oh i think at this point at home the rest of this the rest of this big 12 season and and even then you might not win the big 12 so it's it's vitally important and really it's even more important from that in that context because of the fact that baylor is one of the teams that you're going to be playing again on the road in waco so you definitely want to hold serve at home in this game as well uh, so it's it's so critical because if you lose this game at home, you can almost kiss the Big 12 title hopes goodbye for the most part. Uh, UC, or T, Houston pardon me, is playing at Cincinnati on Saturday. They probably are not going to lose, I would think. I mean, you know, Cincinnati's a familiar opponent for them, coming from the American. Uh, but beyond that, if Baylor wins this game over Kansas, they suddenly look like they might be a team that can win the Big 12. You still have Iowa State, so it's a... It's a must-win in a lot of ways for Kansas, and I know the conversation with KU over the past couple of weeks with these games has been well. They've all been pretty much must-wins at this point, and to a certain extent, that is true. 
Uh, if you're Kansas and you want to win the Big 12 and that's your goal, you've got eight games left and you need to win at least six, and that's probably not enough. You may even need to win seven. So your margin for error, which was already probably pretty thin coming into Big 12 conference play as it was because of a team like Houston, when you lose at West Virginia, when you lose at UCF, that small margin for error that you thought you would have over the course of the season, the Big 12 conference play, that that went out the window in the first six games, basically, because of those losses that you took. So now you absolutely must take care of business at home. And again, it's not even a, well, hopefully we can take care of business. No, it's if you want to win the Big 12, you have to. It's a, it's a requirement. It is no longer you know, hoping that you can do that. You must do it. And even then, like I said, that may not guarantee you a shot at the Big 12 title. Mm-hmm. So you got to defend home court. KU's been great at home this season, so you would think that well, that shouldn't be too much of an issue. But, but yeah, man, it, this game is it's incredibly important. And, and on top of that, it's incredibly important in the standpoint of you don't want to lose two in a row. And on top of that, guess what? you got to play on Big Monday again coming up in two days after this game. So you'd hate to lose to Kansas State come back home for a big-time emotional college game day game against Baylor, lose that, and then you got to get on a plane on Sunday and fly out to Lubbock, of all places. Lubbock. Lubbock, Texas. Their airport's got, I think, one Burger King in their whole airport. I've been there. It's terrible. You look out the airport windows, and it's just dirt for the, like, as far as you can see. It's horrible. you got to go there. you got to go there to play a Texas Tech team that's definitely going to be fired up to play you. And uh, you'd hate to be doing that after losing at home against Baylor 48 hours before. So it's everything. It's a very important game. Yeah. No, I, I echo everything you said. Um, Even you, the part about uh, Lubbock being terrible. Well, I'm not. Oh, I, I will say this. Lubbock does have one of the nicest hotels that I've ever stayed okay. in. I don't even remember what it was called. It was really nice. It was an awesome hotel. It was like 15 stories. I stayed on like the twelfth floor. I was kind of scared though because I don't like heights, so I, I kept my I kept my my blinds closed because I, I I was scared of looking outside. But it was a very nice hotel, super nice, best hotel breakfast I've ever had. You could go and get like your own special custom made omelets and like you know all kinds of stuff. It was great. It was great. Everything else about Lubbock, meh. Yeah, I more so meant like echo the stuff about why this game is important. Oh, you mean the KU Baylor game? Oh, yeah. not about Lubbock. Okay, no, not as much, not as much. That's for sure. Uh, so the Baylor scouting report, they have won three straight. They they won three straight to open up Big 12 play. Then they lost three straight, and then they've won three straight now, which makes them have the longest winning streak in Big 12 play. All three of their losses, though, were close. But this is that, that's kind of just how the Big 12 goes, right? Uh, Four-point yep. overtime loss at Kansas State. That sounds familiar for KU. They lost by five in overtime. Uh, at Texas by two, and triple overtime at home to TCU. So... They very easily could be, you know, seven and two or eight and one right now, right? Now they could also very easily have a worse record if they don't win by three at home against Cincinnati and win in overtime at Oklahoma State and win off that crazy game against Iowa State. So you know it works both ways when you're playing in the Big Twelve. But still, yeah. this is one of the best offenses in the country. They're fourth in offensive efficiency. 
They're first in three-point percentage in the country. Yep. They're also a really good offensive rebounding team. Now, oddly enough, in conference-only play, though, they've only been middle of the pack in some of their shooting numbers. So I don't know if that tells you that they're due or that this is what more they are and they were just hot in non-con play. I don't know, but they've still been a good offensive rebounding team. Defense, they have not been very good. Uh, they're 75th in the country. They're bottom four in the conference in effective field goal percentage defense, three-point defense, two-point defense, and block rate. The... Uh, one thing they've done okay at is they are sixth in defensive rebounding rate, and they are fifth in turnover rate on defense among the fourteen teams in the Big Twelve. Yeah, as you said, they they are uh, they are what I would describe as an aggressively average defense. <laughs> they are they're so average it hurts on defense when you look down all their numbers. They're very very average, uh, and and that's kind of you know you think about Scott Drew coach teams over the past couple of years. That's kind of been what they've been. Right, they've they've, for you know, rightly or wrongly, the way that they've the style of play that they've kind of cultivated is, they're going to have some really talented guards, and they are going to be probably not that great on defense outside of the year they won the national title because they did have guys like Davion Mitchell who was a great defender, uh, but they're going to have some really really talented guards, maybe not be as great on defense, but going to be pretty explosive on offense, and that's pretty much what they are here. You mentioned their three point shooting, obviously three point defense has been a hot button issue for KU in the past. Uh, whether or not it's bad luck, whether or not it's, you know, wh- however, you, whatever you think the issues might be, this is going to be a game where you might, that might be tested a little bit more. And let me ask you this. Does the fact that Baylor is coming off of a game against Texas Tech in which they only made seven threes and they shot 27% from three, does that concern you even more coming into this game against Cam? Honestly, against it kind of does. <laughs> now, I will say when, when you look at the, the Baylor, um, I guess three-point shooting this year. They did do a lot of that against some bad teams. Like, okay, they went 19 of 30 against Mississippi Valley State. Worst-ranked team in the country right now. Yeah, that's the team that's 0-50. Yeah, they're 362nd. Nickel yeah. State, they went 14 of 23. 0-80. They're ranked 267th. And UMKC, they went 13 of 23. Those are their three best three-point shooting games. UMKC's ranked 272nd. They do have other good games, though, against good teams. Where They shot 14 of 25 against Florida, 12 of 23 against Iowa State. Even in the loss to Texas, 11 of 22. Uh, 14 of 31 against Cornell, who's just barely outside the top 100. So, yes, that does concern me a little bit. Also, though, I, I think it makes you feel a little better that Baylor was unconscious last year in the first half. We're up by 13. Kansas still and, won the game because yeah. they and couldn't stop them. They blew it. Yeah, And I think this defense is a little bit better than that one was. Could be. But could be. you could also argue this offense maybe is a little worse than that one was. Mm, potentially. Yeah, maybe a little more inconsistent, possibly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they do have they do have five guys that average double figures on this roster. Uh, and then they have a, or they have four guys, actually, that average double figures, I think. And then their fifth guy, or no, no, it's five players. And five players that average double figures on the roster, and it's their sixth guy averages 9.8 points per game. So they basically have six guys that average ten point, over, almost over 10 points per game. So it's not going to be a situation where you can say, hey, defense, let's key in on this guy and try to shut him down, and that's going to really slow down their offense. That's not how this is going to work because they have guys that can create. They have guys that can attack. And for this Kansas team right now, that could be a real issue because of the fact that Baylor, they don't need to necessarily, you know, KU, they switch a lot, right? KU switches everything. This is not necessarily a game where Baylor is going to be forced to try to see if they can get a switch on a Johnny Furphy because whoever Johnny Furphy's guarding is probably a guy that's going to be able to go on the attack, whether it's Ray J. Dennis, whether it's Jacoby Walter, whether it's uh, Langston Love, even if he's a game-time decision or whatever. You know, uh, those are just three guys, for, for example, that, that, could, that could possibly attack. So that is a bit concerning. And you mentioned the three-point shooting for Baylor. 41% on the season. 
What's interesting about that, though, is, is that from a scoring standpoint, they are still pretty balanced in terms of where they get their points from. Like, it, like when you see a team that shoots that well from three, you think, well, they just score a lot of their points from the perimeter. That's not really the case. They can score in other ways. They can score inside, you know, inside as well, uh, which is could be something to keep an eye on. So, I, I don't know. It's going to be tough because they have a lot of potent three-point shooters. Uh, Langston Love is the guy that's shooting 50% from three. I think he's, what, 53% in conference play? Is that what you said earlier? Yeah, 53% yeah. in conference play, 49% on the season. But again, game time decision. Yeah, and beyond that, Jalen Bridges is at 40% on just under five attempts per game. Ray J. Dennis is at 39% on a little bit lower volume. Uh, actually, their highest volume shooter is Jacoby Walter at 5.7 attempts per game, but he's only at 34%. But he's a guy that, as a freshman, can definitely make some shots. So there's there's definitely a lot to be concerned about on the defensive end for Kansas uh, in this game. And it could be a real test for KU defensively. And again, Johnny Furphy, I think, kind of becomes the, the the crux of that discussion because of the fact that he has been susceptible at times. And this could be a game for the Kansas defense where they're only as good as their weakest link, which if it's Johnny Furphy and Baylor can continue to, to capitalize off that, you could run into some problems. Right. And that's the thing. They'll just attack that switch over and over again. And even if Love doesn't go, yeah, they do have a, a lot of other options and guards who they can go to. Uh, Eves Misi on the uh, on the inside has been a really good center for them. It's it's kind of a, a very different style of centers between the two teams. Uh, but Baylor uh, shoots 69.6% at the rim. That's really good. They don't take a huge volume of it, but it's it mostly derived from you have to put so much attention on the outside, they will leak inside and, and get some openings there. So it's just a very talented offensive team overall. So when you think of this game, what scares you most that if Baylor wins this game, you think that would be the reason why? Yeah, I think a lot of people will, their eyes will pop at the three-point shooting and say, well, Baylor's going to win if they just get hot from three. And while that might be true, I actually think what maybe scares me the most or what concerns me the most about this game for Baylor and even though KU's done a great job of this at home, especially when you go back to like the Houston game, is probably Baylor's offensive rebounding. They're a top 20 team in the country in offensive rebound percentage. It's one thing if Baylor just comes in and is shooting a lot of threes and you know contested shots and, and hitting them, and, and Kansas is, is defending as well as they can, and it's just, you know, that's how Baylor's winning. It would be another thing if Baylor is able to win this game by getting offensive rebounds, by getting second chance points. And by putting extended pressure on KU's defense. So that's actually what I'm most concerned about because that was that has been a bit of an issue at times for KU. Now, on the road specifically. At home, they've been a lot better. Obviously, go back to the Houston game. In the Houston game, they were fantastic. Right? On the, on the Especially in the first half. On the glass. But I do think that's my biggest area for concern is is giving up those second-chance points because, I like I said, I, I continue to believe that when you're at home, the one thing that can totally and completely eliminate the crowd and can zap the energy of a building is offensive rebounding and second chance points by the away team. I mean that just I don't I don't think there's anything that that sucks the that can suck the wind out of an, an arena more than being unable to rebound on the glass defensively and allowing the opponent to get second chance points. Mm -hmm. So that's actually my biggest concern is is if Baylor's able to do that on top of maybe hitting some tough shots Plus, they're able to get some second chance points and force KU to expend a lot of energy at the defensive end. That's my biggest concern. Yeah, I mean, it's it's natural to to think that okay, well, them going off from three, they take a high volume, they they should do that. I I almost expect them to shoot well from three. Um, what would concern me is you're right if they're getting the extra possessions, if they're not turning the ball over and keeping those possessions, and above all else, um, if 
you don't have a good offensive game, you're going to be unable to match that. But still, I, I would more so, I, I would agree with you if they're they're getting the extra possessions with the offensive rebounds. Where do you think KU has the biggest edge? I think KU probably has the biggest edge with uh, offensive efficiency, truly. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a team that continues to be great at, at passing the ball and team passing. And when you're playing a defense like Houston, it's like, oh, okay, well, that's really important. Against Baylor, who's not as strong of a defense, you would hope that that's going to be able to open up the passing lanes and passing opportunities even more for Kansas to really swing the ball around and, and hopefully get some easier buckets, right? Uh, I think that was that was maybe what was the biggest issue against uh, against Kansas State was things that Kansas had made look fairly routine in earlier games, they looked a lot more labored against Kansas State. That was one of the issues, mm-hmm. I think, that they ran into in that game. So can you get back to making the smart passes and getting some easy buckets uh, and, and kind of helping that and helping relieve the pressure even more. Because uh, what you don't want to do is, I don't think you want to get into a, a back-and-forth shooting contest against Baylor, right? You want to you stick, with, stick with what you do well, which is smart passing, getting, getting nice cuts, and, and getting easy baskets. So I do think KU has an advantage in that area, and I think that should really help them. Uh, and I think beyond that, Allen Fieldhouse obviously is a huge advantage, right? I mean, it should be, uh, which, 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 if you get the crowd in it early and keep the crowd in it, and I'm sure they will be in it, uh, then I think that'll be a big advantage as well for KU because this is a Baylor team that they've got some talented freshmen, and those those boys haven't played at Allen Fieldhouse yet. No, so who who knows how they're going to react? Yeah, uh, I will say. I mean, it's interesting. Baylor has some big men that can. You know, really, I don't yeah. know, prevent things on the inside that I think it'll be an interesting matchup for Hunter Dickinson for sure, trying to carve out space on the inside there. Yeah, I mean, we spent a lot of time talking about how in the Big 12, there's not that many teams that can just go, you know, guy for guy matchup against Hunter Dickinson. Well, guess what? Baylor's one of those teams. They have Misi, the guy that you alluded to, for the freshman from Cameroon who's seven foot. Also, they're one of their guys, first guys off the bench. Oh, Johnny Cow or yeah, something like o- that. Yeah, Kua, I think is how you pronounce it. I'm not really sure. Uh, he's another 6'10 guy. So Baylor, similarly to like Cincinnati, right? They have the bodies, the size, and the physicality to kind of throw at Hunter Dickinson uh, to to slow him down and to kind of maybe make that more of a neutral matchup, uh, which is something to be keep an eye on as well because obviously in the Cincinnati game, it was a close game. Cincinnati had a chance to maybe win that game, and part of it was probably because of that as well. So that'll be something to keep an eye on for sure. Yeah, so that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, KU wins if what? Uh, I think I think KU wins. Like I said, if they're just smart with the ball and they have they utilize team passing, and and again, I, I think they you don't want to get into a shooting contest with Baylor. So you know, if Baylor's able to hit a couple threes early in the game, what I don't want to see is is Kansas come down and immediately you know Kevin's jacking up a three or Johnny is jacking up a three. I don't I don't I don't want to see that. Uh, I, I would want to see you still to play still play your offense still play what you want to do. You know, Baylor's not a particularly up-tempo team, so you don't necessarily have to worry about getting an attractant with them. But like I said, I do think I am concerned about the possibility of this becoming a shooting contest where Baylor's like, hey, we're just going to shoot some threes, and what are you going to do? Are you going to answer? And I hope KU doesn't fall into that trap and continues to play their offensive style. And again, uh, protecting the glass on the defensive end, I think, will be critical in this game. They did a, they did a great job of that against Houston, and what happened? They won. Do that again against Baylor, and I think you'll have a pretty good chance to win. 
uh, as well in this game. And I'll say specifically, if Hunter Dickinson has a good defensive rebounding game, he's so good at outlet passes. You yeah. can take advantage of Baylor in transition if you can grab the defensive rebound because they send numbers forward at it, and they might be taking long shots or tough shots with some of their threes. If you grab the rebound, it can be an instant break starter. Yeah. And that's a way for you to get a lot of easy buckets. So that would be the other one that I would kind of add in there. All right, we're going to yeah. take a timeout. we got a fun game coming up next. Graham Doran joins us after that. You're listening to RCST on KLWN, depending on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson with Nick Springer. We're going to get to Graham Doran in about 10 minutes from right now. Before we do that, though, we've got another fun game for you. And Nick has... Well, I mean, fun is a relative term. Well, he, he got fired. It was not fun for me yesterday. in his career. <laughs> it was not fun for me yesterday. He went 4-8, and eight, which is, uh, I think, his worst record among anything. Uh, yeah, I had a 5-7 and seven season in there at one point, mm-hmm. but uh, I do believe that 4-8 and eight is my worst season. Yeah. Well, through 15 seasons, 127-73. and 73. Well, That's pretty good. Yeah. Listen, oh, dude, great coaches get fired all the time. <laughs> they do. Okay. They tend to bounce back. Uh, you've gone 8-6 and six in bowls. Missed bowls twice. Five conference titles, one college football playoff appearance with one national title. Which, that was in my first season, by the way. That's crazy. Last year, 4-8, and eight, so you were at a group of five. Now you have been hired by an FCS school. Uh, yep. We're at Youngstown State, baby. Mm-hmm. The Penguins. We're going I was to looking. The, there were some teams who made playoffs. the uh, playoffs this past year, like 7-4. and four. Oh, okay, yeah. So if you can get to that, you can make playoffs. Mm. Okay? Oh, there we go. Okay. All right, first up, though, week one, you're playing an FBS well, I don't opponent. even know what the game is. What are we playing? Oh, I'm sorry. I should probably tell you that. Yeah, what are we playing? We're playing Kansas City Chiefs team member or Nick Cage movie character. Oh, I do like Nick Cage movies. Okay. I, f- I feel pretty good about this Yeah, you do. Week one, this is your FBS game. You're not playing like a an Alabama or something, but you're playing like okay. a decent FBS school. Okay. Mike Caliendo. Like Frank Caliendo? Mike Caliendo. Uh, this has got to be a Mike Caliendo. Uh, <laughs> give me a Chiefs. I don't think that's a. I don't think that's a Nick Cage character. Give me, give me a. Uh, give me a Chiefs. Chiefs staffer. Okay, Mike Caliendo is an offensive lineman on okay, the Kansas City Chiefs. There we go. Bang. One of those. Burn. Burn. You beat an FPS team. That so sucks. Now you're, now you're ranked in like the top ten. Yeah, that FBS sucks. Ohio. People Just are took like, down Ohio. Yeah, people are like, oh, this could. You know, maybe this coach got something going at the FCS level. All right, week two, Cameron Poe. Mm. See, let me go through the Rolodex of Nick Cage movies. <laughs> God, that guy's been in a lot of movies. He has. There's a great Christmas movie with Nick Cage that I just watched um, over Christmas called Family Man. It's pretty good. Okay. Uh, is that his character name in that? No, the char- no, his character name in that and Family Man is Jack something. I don't, I don't believe I have that one on there. Okay. So. Uh, I don't remember his last name. In that movie. It's Jack, though. I know his first name is Jack. Um, I'm going to say this is a Chiefs staffer, too. Cameron Poe, not related to Dontari Poe. He is a Nick Cage character. What? He is Con Air. Really? Con Air. Oh, I love Con Air. great Nick Cage movie. Yeah, I love Con Air. Yeah. His name's Cameron in that movie? Yeah, Cameron oh, I Poe. Didn't, I didn't know that. Uh, one on one. I don't, okay, wait a second. He never says his name in that movie, I don't think. Well. Because he has like he just says like two words. Two word lines. Week three. Dr. Stanley Goodspeed. Oh, that's definitely Nick Cage. You sure he's a doctor? He could be one of the trainers. No, I'm pretty sure that. No, that's a Nick Cage. Movie. All right, that is a Nick Cage movie. Yeah. That is his uh, name in The Rock. Yeah, okay, yeah, I knew that one. Yeah. That's another great movie where they go into yes. Alcatraz and they and it's with John Connery and that's they right. try to defuse the nuclear missiles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, two and one. Week I know four. my Nick Cage movies. Week four, Cole Christensen. 
Oh, that's a Chiefs staffer. Chiefs member. It is not a Chiefs staffer. What? It is a Chiefs linebacker. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So you did get it right, technically. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, Cole Christian Chin. Yeah, Chiefs linebacker. There we go. Bang. So I'm three and one. Three and one. Week Cook five. Chukwu Abuka Godrick. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing that's a Chiefs player. You would think. Oh, is that your answer? Oh. Well, hang on a second. Huh? No, I think you're trying to screw with me. Okay. I'll, I'll stick with Chiefs. Play. Have you ever seen the Nick Cage movie with the... Not the bees. Mm, what's the name of it? Um, Something man. Oh, it's... it's uh. <laughs> I don't think I've seen it, no. I don't know. This is going to bother me. Uh, so is that a Nick Cage character? Wicker Man. Wicker Man. No, I've never seen Wicker Man. Well, it's not from Wicker Man. You don't have to worry. He is a uh, Chiefs practice squad officer. Okay, 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 okay. So I'm four and one. You're four and one. Nice. Trending toward the FCS playoffs. We're cooking. All right, week six. Joe Blaymeyer. Joe Blaymeyer. Hmm. Trying to think. I don't. I don't think that's a Chiefs member. But I'm not sure. Well. Give me Chiefs member. I think this is a Chiefs member too. Joe Blaymeyer is the Chiefs passing game coordinator. Okay. Here we go. Five and one. There we go. You're not just trending toward making the playoffs. You're trending toward maybe hosting a first-round match. You yeah. can get a top eight seed to get a first-round bye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, week seven, Grabe, Greg Carbon. Greg Carbon. Greg Carbon. I've got one Nick Cage movie stuck in my head. I can't think of any other ones, but I'm not going to tell you what it is because okay. in case it's on there. But it's, it's making it really tough because I'm having a hard time coming up with other Nick Cage movies. Well, I'm trying to think like like what like what the hell was this character's name in in National Treasure? I don't even remember. I don't know. Might be on here. Who it's knows? not Greg Carbon. It might be. No, it's his name in his name in National Treasures is uh is Ben, I think. Or no, that's his dad's name. Oh crap. I'm gonna say this is a Chiefs <laughs> member also. You're gonna say Chiefs? Yeah, I'm gonna go Chiefs. Greg Carbon is the Chiefs assistant okay. spe- uh strength mm. and condition coach. Mm. Yeah, come six on. And one. Let me do some moving around. All right, week eight. So I'm six and one. Right? Ben Gates. Oh, that's National Treasure. Okay. That's National Treasure. Is that your yeah. answer? No, 100%. Yeah. That's that is? Treasure. Yeah. National Treasure. Oh, that's cool. All right. I am going to steal the Declaration of Independence. Yes. It's a good start for you. Seven and one. There's In the FCS regular season, you only play 11 games. You have three more. Okay. Then the post. Which, at this point, seven and one, you're going to make it. It's just a matter of yeah. where you're going to be seated. Yeah. Caster Troy. <laughs> you think those would be reversed? Troy Caster? Yeah. Doesn't that sound more? I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with. I don't think that's a Chiefs member. I'm gonna go with Nick Cage character. I don't know what movie it is though. That is Nick Cage from Face Off. Ah, also a great okay. classic. Okay. Yeah. All right, we found your wheelhouse. I told you I knew my Nick Cage movies. You're eight and one. Congratulations. <laughs> you know I don't watch a lot of movies, but man, I watch Nick Cage. All right, if you can win one of these final two, you'll get a first round bye. Okay. Which will put you into the round of sixteen. Okay. You lose both. You're you're in the playoffs, but you're yeah. having to go one game longer. Yeah. Week ten, Mike Frazier. See, what am I supposed to do with this, Mike <laughs> Frazier? I mean, that could be any guy walking down the street. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, I I don't know. It's I'm not uh, off the top of my head. I don't know if it's a Nick Cage. I'll just say, I'm gonna say Chiefs member. I'm not sure though. Mike Frazier is a Chiefs statistical analysis okay. coordinator. Hey, there we go. You're nine and one. You there we go. The if you can Bang. win this one, you're like a top four seed. Bang. Week eleven. Johnny Blaze. Oh, that's a that's a Nick Cage. 
Is it, no, this this is, Ghost Rider, right? Ghost Rider. Yeah. That's correct. All right, you're Woo. two one. Come on. You're the two seed coming into yeah. the uh, postseason. Woo. First round by. This is the round of 16. Week 12, Tom Melvin. Mm. Hosting a playoff game. Round of 16. Is this the playoff game? Yeah, this is the first playoff oh, this game. this first playoff game? Yep. You got to buy now. Okay, okay. My spidey sense is tingling on this one. It's telling me I think this might be a Nick Cage person. Nick Cage character. Give me Nick Cage. Tom Melvin is the Chiefs tight no end coach. Way. And after an unbelievable season. No way. After winning 10 consecutive games, you lose in the first round of the playoffs <laughs> playing at home. No way, All that man. for nothing. No way. All that for nothing. That's brutal. All right, let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Did you have uh, Memphis Reigns on there? No, I did not. Okay, that was the one that I kept thinking of. What was that from? That's from, uh, oh gosh, it's from uh, Gone in 60 Seconds, which is probably my favorite Nick Cage movie, to be honest. Mm. And Wicker Man, he played Edward Malice. That would have been a good one. Oh, yeah, that would have been a good one. I right, he's Nick Springer. That. I'm Derek Johnson. Maybe. Graham Doran, you know, talk bracketology, college basketball, KU, Big 12. All that with us next on RCST with KLWN, depending on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. And that time on a Friday, we're joined by Graham Doran. You can check out all his great bracketology work at Graham Doran on X, GrahamDoranBracketology.wordpress.com. You can also find the unnamed Bracketology podcast on YouTube. And uh, I'm sure Graham will mention this at either some point in the interview or the end, but he's going to be participating in a uh, mock selection committee, which uh, typically that seems like that's kind of a yearly thing that goes on. So uh, first things first, starting with KU, kind of a weird last two games. They blow out Houston, but then they lose on the road to Kansas State. So the resume continues to have those big, I guess, valleys of the big-time wins versus the kind of bad losses, so to speak. Uh, was it still a net positive, though, over the last two? Uh, was it still a net positive bump, or was it kind of just the K-State loss like equaled out the Houston win? Yeah, I think uh, it's really the last part that you talked about there. Uh, I think it pretty much equaled out. I think uh, Houston is a great win, but the, the problem with losing to Kansas State isn't one result in the grand scheme of things. It just gets at Kansas' road record. Kansas is 2-4. and four in true road wins, and those two wins are over Indiana and Oklahoma State. Those are okay wins. Those are not good wins, though. Uh, They have no wins over tournament teams away from home in true road games, and I think that's becoming a problem for Kansas when you compare them to other teams at the top of the bracket. How much does the committee utilize the road record? Like, is that something that that has been used against someone in in the past? I I don't know if you have any cases that come to mind, whether it's been uh, a pro or a a minus for a team. Yeah, it's absolutely something that the committee uh, does use against teams. Uh, Last year, we saw that we uh, we saw a Maryland team uh, get two road victories, and that was kind of a big deal for them to even hang out on the 8-9 line uh, because that's unusual. Usually you have to have uh, multiple wins, uh, more than two. We're talking three or four true road victories to kind of be that high in the bracket. Uh, we did not have a single team that got into the tournament since the net has been created that has won one or less true road games. So you have to win on the road, regardless of what conference you're from. And obviously Kansas has already kind of met that threshold of having more than one win, but Kansas was never in danger of missing the tournament. What they're now in danger of is having their seed hurt because other teams at the top of the bracket are winning those true road games. So uh, I guess now with the game upcoming, 
tomorrow against Baylor. Uh, I know Baylor's in a pretty good position right now, too. Not quite up to the same seed line as Kansas, but um, I, I remember asking this question during the Iowa State week, and, and I think maybe it becomes pertinent again this week with Kansas being a two seed and, and with Baylor being a three seed. As simple to say, if, if Baylor pulls the upset on the road, that uh, the two teams would just kind of switch places? I think that would be correct, but uh, I think it's actually kind of interesting for, for both teams. I think there's a chance that Kansas could potentially fall closer to a four seed at that point. I don't think so. I think they'd probably hold on to a three seed. Uh, but for Baylor in particular, I think Baylor could potentially maybe be in the conversation for a number one seed at that point. I have them ninth overall in my bracket right now, so the top three seed and with a road win in Lawrence, they would move to 6-3 and three against Quadrant 1. They're already 12th in KPI, 12th in strength of record. Those numbers would bump up. If they were sitting there with a neutral court win over Auburn, a home win over BYU, a home win over Iowa State, and then they add this win at Kansas, you're talking about four Quadrant 1A victories for the Bears along with a very good 17-5 overall record. They would actually have a winning road record at that point. That would be 3-2, and two, along with the 19th, or excuse me, the 18th best strength of schedule in the country. I think Baylor would then move into one-seed contention. Uh, arguably, uh, it would be them or Arizona, I think, that would be the number one seed at that point. I have Arizona right now as my last number four seed, or fourth overall as my last one seed. I think you could potentially be seeing Baylor uh, on the one line at that point because they'd have enough quality wins against the schedule they played. I know this isn't as pertinent right now because the record since he's been a starter has been 5-3, and three, but if Kansas does finish the season strong with Furphy in as a uh, starter in the lineup, is that something that the committee could look at and say, okay, you were already a good team without him, but now you're an even better team and, and maybe we'll give you even a little bit more of a boost because of a tangible change? Yeah, I think that's something that could happen. Uh, to be frank, I don't think it would have much of an effect. I think uh, the committee would probably look at that and say, okay, well, you guys still lost to West Virginia on the road and Kansas State on the road when Furphy was starting. So even if you look at, say, like Bart Torvik and they have great efficiency numbers, I'm not sure the committee uh, would really be that swayed by that data point. Uh, so I think it's something that they could look at, but I doubt it would be uh, something that would actually end up affecting the Jayhawks. Elsewhere around the conference in the Big 12, since last time we talked to you last Friday, what has been the biggest result in the Big 12 besides the uh, KU games against Houston and, and Kansas State? Well, I think uh, Iowa State picking up, or excuse me, Iowa State uh, falling at the last possible second to Baylor. Uh, I would say that's the biggest result because Iowa State is my 10th overall seed. I already mentioned Baylor's my 9th overall seed. So both very good three seeds. But had Iowa State won that game, I think Iowa State's in the one seed conversation right now. So this is just a real profile changer for both teams. I think Baylor, firm three seed because of the win with a chance to move up. Had they lost that, I think Baylor's looking at a four seed, uh, and Iowa State would potentially be looking at a number one seed at worst, a number two seed right now. So uh, I think it was a huge result that Iowa State, by tenths of a second, did not get that last second three to win the game. It could have changed their resume completely. Talking with Graham Doran here on Rock Shock Sports Talk. As we continue to see the, the Big 12 season played out, and we're kind of uh, right around or, or above that halfway point at this point in time, 
What do you think the maximum amount of teams that can get in for the Big 12 at this point? Because obviously we know not everybody can get all the wins that are necessary. Like, somebody has to kind of lose the games. I think there was an Iowa State team that made it in two years ago. They went 7-11 and in Big 12 play, but that seems to be more of kind of the outlier in terms of getting in with that record. What, what do you think the maximum number they could get in would be? I think we're looking at 11 as a maximum number. Uh, right now I have 10 teams in the field. Uh, most of those teams are pretty comfortably in the field, not even really that close to uh, the cut line, as we call it, for uh, being out of the tournament. I think Cincinnati is in the worst shape of all the different Big 12 teams that I have in the field, but even them, uh, they're pretty comfortably in as an 11 seed. Kansas State is one of my first teams out of the field, so I could definitely see the Wildcats sneaking into the field Cincinnati staying in the field and all those other teams that are in good shape staying there. Well, I think we're looking at a potential 11 bids from the Big 12. If I had a guess, we're going to see 10, uh, but 11 would not surprise me. Okay, well, uh, that would certainly be wild, and and I'm sure that has a big effect on the bracket, too, and just what you can do and where you can put certain teams. Uh, For this weekend, specifically, what is the Big 12 game, maybe besides Kansas-Baylor, that uh, you're most keeping an eye out this weekend? Well, I think you kind of <laughs> hit the nail on the head on the, the game that I am most paying attention to. It, it is that game uh, between Kansas and Baylor, but we've got some other big games as well. Um, one game that I think uh, we should expect uh, a pretty uh, potentially big result from is uh, when TCU travels to Iowa State. Iowa State uh, won the game down in Fort Worth. I think TCU has shown they're a pretty good road team. So I wouldn't be surprised if uh, TCU hangs with Iowa State here. Uh, why that's big, again, uh, Iowa State potentially looking at a number two seed if they can hold on against TCU. But if TCU could pick up the road win, I have the Horned Frogs right now as an eight seed. We could be looking at a team that's maybe up at like a six seed, possibly even arguing for a five seed at that point if TCU can pick up the big road win. So I think that would be the game besides Kansas-Baylor that I think may have the biggest effect on the bracket. If TCU loses, they start to get a little bit further down into that bubble. Zooming out to the rest of college basketball, same question that that I've had for you uh, earlier today and, and each and every week. What was the biggest result affecting the bracket across the country over the last week? I think it was Auburn really handily beating Alabama. Uh, And the reason why I think it was so big is, one, uh, Alabama was on the precipice of a two-seed. That really kind of ends that discussion uh, for me. And then Auburn uh, picking up such a dominant win over an Alabama team that is pretty highly regarded. I think that was a huge win for them, more than any reason, because they just haven't had quality wins. Uh, The best win that Auburn had this year, besides this Alabama win, was at Ole Miss. And frankly, that's not that great of a win. So dramatically changed the profile for Auburn. Now I think Auburn's looking at not only a a number three seed, but the potential to move even further up the bracket. Had Auburn not won that game, I think they would have been looking at a five, maybe even a six seed. So really, really important for Auburn that they picked up that victory. Has there been maybe a team... Over the last, I don't know, a couple of weeks, month, maybe uh, from where we were from the start of the season now, or, or if it is just in conference play, that, that maybe has changed your mind of, of what they are, for better or worse. It can be a team that maybe you were really high on or, or thought would be you know, X seed, and, and whether it's just been watching more and more of their games or just kind of reevaluating your bracket, reevaluating their resume, or you know, going back and looking at some other stuff. Has there been a team that you have uh, maybe changed your tune on the most over the last month or two of the season? 
Yeah, I think as far as over the last month or so, uh, I would look at Virginia. Virginia was a team that I really was not sold on. Uh, It's not atypical for Virginia to struggle offensively, but eight of their games, eight of their wins were over quadrant four. So they weren't playing a strong strength of schedule in general, and the ACC is not that strong this year. So uh, Virginia was really kind of limping along a bit uh, to the point where I actually had them out of the bracket as recent as a couple of weeks ago. Now I have Virginia as a nine seed, and I think they could get even higher. They're 30th in strength of record, 30th in KPI. Uh, so right around that eight, nine game is where you'd expect them to be. But they still have a game against North Carolina at home. They still travel to Cameron Indoor to play Duke, and they get their rival, Virginia Tech, in Blacksburg. Those are three quadrant one opportunities for them. And if they could pick up two of those three, I think Virginia could end up seeing a nice seed on selection Sunday. We talked a little bit about Dayton a week or two ago. We also have talked about Indiana State uh, a couple weeks ago that, that you've been very high on them, and now they're up to a nine seed in your bracket, and I think everybody started to deco- uh, discover their Rex Specs uh, big dude down low that he's going to be like a March hero already when, when you look at what he's going to be bringing to the table. But um, outside of Dayton, what do you think the highest seed that one of these – I guess non-Power 6 conference teams can kind of get. I, I I mean, I guess you could count Mountain West in that, but uh, outside of even the Mountain West with, with kind of the power conferences, like is it Indiana State? What, what seed do you think they could kind of max out at? Yeah, I think the two teams that I have my eye on are Indiana State, as you mentioned, and also Grand Canyon. I think Grand Canyon uh, is still in pretty good shape for a tournament bid, but I think Indiana State's the one that I'm really focused on because they have three losses, 20-3 and three overall. Uh, they've got that good road record, 6-3. and three. They have not been particularly strong against Quadrant 1, only 1-3 and three against Quad 1, but if you look at the losses, that was at Alabama, at Michigan State, at Drake, not easy games to play. They did win at Bradley for their one quadrant one win. I think they remind me a little bit of Wofford back from 2019. If Indiana State can win out through the Missouri Valley tournaments, I think a seven seed is possible. Is there a, uh, a fan base who maybe you hear the most from that, that maybe has been most unkind to you, or maybe you hear the most crap from uh, based on the bracketing? Uh, depends on the week would be my response <laughs> to that. But uh, recently, the answer is Illinois. Uh, and the reason why is because Wisconsin is still hanging out at a three seed, even after taking a bad loss to Michigan this week on the road in Ann Arbor. And Illinois has a nice record. You look at Illinois, they're 13th in the net. They're 17-5 and five overall. That's the sort of record that could potentially have you as a two seed, maybe even a one seed like Arizona. But the difference is... Illinois has not been getting it done in quadrant one. They are just three and four against quad one. And you look at Wisconsin and Wisconsin has six wins, six and five against quad one. So I think Illinois fans are a little annoyed uh, that they are 17 and five. They won at Wisconsin and they feel like with a win at home over Purdue, they should be higher up the bracket. And the reality is, Illinois just has not done enough. They lost at home to Maryland. Uh, they lost to Northwestern. They've got too many losses. For a team that's 17-5, and five, they just don't have enough quality wins in Quadrant 1, so they're 3-4 and four, uh, in Quad 1. I think that's the biggest problem uh, that Illinois fans have. Is they, they see the victory over Purdue at home. They see the road win at Wisconsin and their Big Ten record of 8-3, and three, and they think they should be above Wisconsin, but Wisconsin has done more to this point. 
I don't know if I've seen that they're going to be doing it again this year, but I know they've done it the last like handful of years. I think it would be coming up around that weekend, whether it be you know maybe next weekend or something like that. But when the NCAA tournament does their like early reveal of what the top four seed lines of all four brackets would look like. Is there going to be a team when when we do fast forward to that? I know we still have more results to come, but that you're going to be most intrigued by where they put them. Uh, first off, you're correct. They are coming up on that weekend. It is next weekend, okay. so that's exactly when they're going to be doing it. And, yeah, there is one team in particular that I'm really uh, interested in where they'll put them, and that's Dayton. Uh, we've already kind of talked about Dayton uh, a lot this year, but they're kind of that X factor. Uh, you look at their wins this season and none of them really stand out they've got some decent wins i'm not saying they don't have any good wins they beat cincinnati st john's smu but i mean those are just decent wins uh they don't have any great wins so uh, i'm really curious whether dayton even ends up in the top 16 or not uh if they're high in the top 16 that would surprise me i think if they end up there they're going to be in the four line somewhere right now i have them as my 16th overall team so Uh, not particularly high in my top 16. I have them barely hanging on there. Uh, But that will be the team I'm interested to see because it could also give us some insight into this committee and mid-majors in general. If they're treating Dayton well, perhaps that means they're going to treat other mid-majors well down the bracket. All right, pop the bubble. If both don't end up winning their league, I I think I know which, which way this is headed based on an earlier answer, but Gonzaga with a win this weekend against Kentucky or Grand Canyon? That's actually a a good one. If they uh, were to win at Kentucky, I think that would be a real resume changer uh, for Gonzaga. So um, I think I'd have to go Gonzaga there. I do. Uh, Their resume metrics are not good right now. 68th and strength of record, 79th and KPI, but their efficiency metrics are golden. They are 20th. Uh, 22nd in uh, BPI and Ken Palm, they're 25th in the net. If they were to get a great victory on the road at Rupp Arena, uh, I think Gonzaga would probably be the team I would go with as being in the tournament, and I'd be popping the bubble of Grand Canyon. Um, but, I mean, there's just so much basketball left to play. I don't think York Grand Canyon can take another loss. I, I'll, I'll go ahead and say this. I think both of those teams would probably find their way into the bracket at that point, but the one that would be higher seeded, I think, would be Gonzaga. Okay, he is Graham Doran at Graham Doran on Twitter. Graham, where can everybody check out all your great work, including that uh, upcoming mock selection committee? Yeah, if you just search for the 2024 Mock Selection Committee on Twitter, you will find our link. We're going to be going to Omaha, Nebraska to do a live podcast. Uh, we'll be filming there as we kind of go over what the bracket's going to be looking like. Should be fun. That will be happening here in a few weeks, three weeks from now. And I'm excited to, to join some other bracketologists for that. You can find my work with the Unnamed Bracketology podcast on YouTube, just Graham Doran on Twitter. And uh, really just a quick shout out to you, Derek, for all the terrific work you've done on Rock Talk Sports Talk. Uh, it's really been amazing, not just working with you, but hearing you uh, day in, day out such a terrific job so shout out to you well i appreciate it that's very kindly said and uh graham i appreciate everything you've done for the show too and i look forward to continuing to interact with you on social media and everything thank you man thank you that was graham doran really appreciate the kind words and uh, everything graham has done with the show here give him a follow at graham doran on social media and check out uh, all those different areas that you can find his work with nick springer i'm Derek johnson one hour down two to go 
We are going to get to Lee Sterling of Paramount Sports, a little Super Bowl talk, preview, prop bets, all that coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. More KU basketball in the 5 o'clock hour. You're listening to RCST on KLWN, depending on it. Hey, it's Derek Johnson from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. And despite sitting around in a studio all day, I feel loose and limber thanks to Massage Envy and their total body stretch service. If you have aches from a day at the office, working out, maybe a round of golf, Massage Envy can help. All you need to do is relax and breathe deep during the stretches and they'll take it from there. It's great for your body and your mind. And they also have rapid tension services and advanced skin care. Massage Envy on 6th Street in Lawrence and 119th and Black Bob in Aletha. 4 o'clock hour on RCST. We're going to be joined by Lee Sterling of Paramount Sports coming up at 4.30. And we'll give our game picks and Super Bowl prop picks. All that stuff coming up in the rest of this hour. We've got Rock Chalk Pickahawk KU Basketball game picks coming in the 5 o'clock hour right here on KLWN. So the Chiefs take on the 49ers in the Super Bowl. That one will be heard this Sunday on what? Westwood 1. It's, in two, it's this Sunday? That's right. 1 o'clock will be Jeez. in pregame starts up 5.30 is when kickoff happens between the 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs. I had no idea. And uh, it's obviously a rematch of the Super Bowl from three, four years ago. I, I think what I find interesting, too, is you go back to the game that, that happened, uh, whatever that was, in the regular season of last year. Kind of yeah. the way to midway point of the season. Chiefs dominated. They did dominate. They blew them out. Now, that was with Jimmy Garoppolo starting. It was also the first game that they had acquired Christian McCaffrey. So he he didn't have a full load into the offense, even though he played a little bit there and uh, had a few nice plays. Yeah. I I will say this, like, I would be surprised. Like, if you told me the game ends up being a blowout, I think I would assume the Chiefs won. Really? Because of that, which wow. is odd because the 49ers have probably the better overall roster. But you have See, Patrick Holmes, you have last year. I don't know what it is. I don't know, man. I think, I actually think if it's a blowout, it could be the, the, the Niners, honestly. Like, you know, in previous years, I had always said, and even on this show last year, I had always said, Chiefs, get down 10, and then we're going to win. Right? That's the strategy. The strategy is get down 10, and then, you know, let Mahomes cook. If the Chiefs do that in this game, I don't know. I don't love their chances, actually. So if the Niners come out early and look good early and take care of business to start the game and do get up to a lead against the Chiefs, I will be pretty concerned. I would be maybe very concerned, actually. Um, because think about that. The Niners in 2020, they didn't have Christian McCaffrey. If the Niners get out to a lead, their playbook should be HB dive, HB stretch, HB toss, HB power. They should be running nothing except Christian McCaffrey every single play if they get a lead. And that could be a problem for the Chiefs. Because you go back to the Bills game, and the Bills had great success running the ball against the Chiefs. And the, the you know now I don't know if the Chief, what the Chiefs' strategy will be defensively. Right? Like, are they going to play the same way that they wanted to play against the Bills, which was we're just going to play deep, we're not going to get beat over the top, you know, by like Ayuk or or Debo Samuel, even though Debo is more of a guy that likes to get the ball close to the line of scrimmage. But I, I I don't know. I have concerns about that. I have concerns about that. If it's a close game, I like the Chiefs because if it's a close game. You're telling me Brock Turdy is going to do something crazy? No, he's not. He's not going to. No, he's not going to do anything. He has in their last two playoff games. I don't care. Okay, he's not. He ain't. He ain't doing nothing. Okay, if it's a close game, you're taking Mahomes, obviously. So th this is a game where I think the the 
the first quarter will probably be the most important quarter. Like I said, if it's 10 nothing Niners, I'm going to be sweating bullets. I'm going to be very concerned. But if the first quarter, you know, maybe it's 7-7 or it's a close game, I'll feel pretty comfortable about the Chiefs at that point. Uh, because the Chiefs' defense has been elite in the second halves. There, you know that the 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 second half under in Chiefs games, it's like seventeen and two. This That's season. pretty incredible. Okay, teams do not score in the second half against the Chiefs. But again, if the Niners are up at the half, seventeen to seven or whatever, I I'm not. I don't know that I have a ton of confidence in the Chiefs at that point. Truly, uh, because I think the Niners' defense is pretty good. And I think if the Chiefs ha- are forced to pass the ball a lot, if they're down, that could be a problem. It is pretty crazy to think about. You know, we're talking about a, a, a Chiefs Super Bowl featuring Mahomes, and yet, uh, yet again, I think that the the game is going to actually be decided in the trenches on both sides of the ball. It's going to be decided on the, with the ground game of the Niners and with the ground game of the Chiefs as well. Pacheco definitely needs to have a, a quality game. So, uh, in, in a lot of ways, Mahomes, I think is not so much the X factor in the game so much as he's like the trump card in the game. Where, again, if it's like the third, fourth quarter and it's a tight game, one-possession game, tie game, it's almost like then at that point the Chiefs would say, oh, by the way, bam, here's Mahomes. And Mahomes would do something crazy and that, you know, that'll push the Chiefs over the edge. So that, that's, that's kind of how I view it. And, and to that end, you know, and Mahomes has talked about this, right? He's talked about how, and even I think we saw it in the, in the AFC title game against the Ravens. Mahomes... And this offense, by extension of Mahomes, has recognized, hey, there are certain situations where we just have to not F it up, okay? Yeah, we that's just what have to not, in the Ravens game. Yeah, we just have to not screw it up, right? It's okay if we it's okay if we have to punt. It's okay if we don't score, right? Or, I mean, it's uh, to say it that way, it doesn't sound like great, but the point being, like, you don't need to go out as an offense and take, and take all these risks. You know, in previous years of the Chiefs offense, it was, if you didn't score a touchdown, you failed. Mm-hmm. That's not the case now. It's it's okay. It's okay to play more of a, a slower possession style game. It's okay to to play field position a little bit more with this chief with the Chiefs offense. And it's okay to just you know not screw it up. Don't go for the risky throw on third and seven. It's okay to just throw it away and you know punt it back and let the defense go to work. Right. I think we saw that in the Ravens game. And I think we're probably going to be seeing that again in this Niners game. Is that this Chiefs offense is recognized at the end of the day it's more important for us to play a clean game than it is for us to go out and try to score a touchdown every possession and possibly make mistakes. And I, I think that's probably going to play out again in this game against the Niners. Uh, and, and I think we'll see more of that. I think we'll see more of this, especially if it's a close game, especially if it's a close game, right? Now, like I said, if the Chiefs do get down, that's where I have my concerns because then they might try to press more and they might, they might be pushed into more of those situations where they are going to make those mistakes and, and then, you know, you could have some issues. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. That's kind of how I view this game right now. I, I like the Chiefs, obviously, uh, but certainly I'm biased. But I just don't see Brock Turdy winning this game, again, unless it's the Niners get up early. Uh, I am curious to see what, what Debo looks like, how the Niners utilize him. The Chiefs obviously have two great cornerbacks that they can shut him down. You know, another interesting thing that, that uh, I've I kind of picked up over the course of, of uh, this week is Brock Purdy has struggled against teams with big interior defensive linemen that can get their hands up and either knock passes down or in other ways affect a quarterback you know, in the middle of the pocket. Well, guess what? What do the Chiefs have? They have one Chris Jones, who is elite at doing that stuff. Okay? So uh, I think Chris Jones, this will be a game for him, you know, 
you're playing for that big contract, even if it doesn't come from the Chiefs, right? You're playing for if you're Chris Jones, you're playing for thirty million a year, basically, right? Yeah, again, it may not be worth the Chiefs, but guess what? Brett Veach said 30, last night he wants to resign Chris Jones. Oh, oh yeah, seat. I want to sign Chris Jones too. Yeah, great, sign me up, Veach. Now how are you going to make that work with the with the with the cap and all that crap? Yeah, no, I want to I want to resign Chris Jones. I want to resign Ladarius Need. But this is a business, okay? You can't always do everything you want. So, but the point being, for Chris Jones, from his standpoint, even if it's not with the Chiefs, you play well in this game, there are 30 other teams that are going to be watching. They're going to say, sheesh, we need to sign that guy. And uh, there are 30 of the teams that I'm sure are interested in signing that guy, depending on uh, if, he, if he's able to perform at a high level in the Super Bowl. So... The Niners' run game is obviously a concern. Uh, I, I, I do, I, I don't necessarily want to pump the brakes, but I do just want to throw out the, this thought that, especially from the Chiefs' perspective, is the Chiefs' defense has been great this season. There's no question about that. They've been elite. They've been really, really good. But I am somewhat wary of throwing on the rose-colored glasses here and just saying the Chiefs are going to shut down the Niners. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Chiefs take care of business. I'm, I'm wary of just kind of having that thought and then just brushing them aside. Like, this Niners offense is good. They have a lot of really, really good weapons. And they're probably going to get theirs a little bit, I would think, in this game. I don't expect the Chiefs to be able to shut them down. You know, but why, why can't it be like a Chiefs-Bills game where the Bills offense, they got theirs. They made some great plays, right? But the Chiefs still won the game. That could be the case here, too. Yeah, I, I think that could be a very likely scenario. Uh, you look at the 49ers, they... Uh, so far this season, our third in points for, third in points allowed in yards. They're second in yards for, eighth in yards allowed. So that one a little bit different. Um, passing the football, they have been second in touchdown, fourth in yards. Um, what's interesting is is the net yards per attempt. They're first in passing, fifth in pass defense. Running the ball, they're fourth in yards per attempt, but they're only 14th in yards allowed per attempt. And you look at the playoffs so far. The uh, Green Bay Packers ran for 136 yards. Aaron Jones had 18 carries for 108 yards. So that's a big-time game from one of the running backs. And the then, Lions ran the ball great, too. Yeah, and then in the NFC Championship game, David Montgomery had 15 carries for 93 yards of touchdown. Jameer Gibbs had 12 for 45 and a touchdown. Jamison Williams had a touchdown on a, a, a jet sweep, one for 42. Yeah. Overall, the Lions ran the football for 182 rushing yards and three touchdowns. Yeah, and I Is think- Isaiah Pacheco the key to this game? Yeah. Yeah, and I think in hindsight, people will recognize that the Lions screwed up in a couple ways by A, maybe not kicking when they should have a couple times, and B, going away from the run game in the second half, right? I, I think you're absolutely right. I think Isaiah Pacheco is, is is going to be a critical part of this game for the Chiefs to be successful, to to sort of maintain that balance. Uh, certainly, the Niners are going to you know do their best to shut down Travis Kelsey, at this point, Rashi Rice is a known commodity, right? It's not a, it's not a. Hey, is is Rashi Rice going to step up? He he's he's the best receiver on the field for the Chiefs, mm-hmm. and so that you know when you're the best receiver on the field, the other team knows about it. They're going to pay attention to you. You know what what's that going to do for his game? So, no, I think Isaiah Pacheco is is critical. Is critical in this game uh, for the Chiefs to be able to establish a run game and maintain that run game, and even if it's not really working that well, you know, you go back to the Ravens game. The Ravens actually, in the second half especially, they were slowing down Pacheco quite a bit, and they were stacking the box against him. And I think that kind of goes back to this idea of, with the Chiefs, if it's a close game, I think they recognize that they need to make sh- they need to try to prevent 
Mahomes from going into Superman mode too early. And what I mean by that is, if you let him try to go into hero mode early or too quickly, guess what? You get a you get a you get a Raiders game. You get a game where he's running around like a chicken with his head cut off trying to make plays. That's not a recipe for success in the Super Bowl. You you don't want him to activate like like when when I say you don't want him to activate too early is because late in the game you want you want the Superman cape to come on for Mahomes and go you know Mahomes go go do your thing go do your thing man. But I don't think you want that to happen in the first half or in the second quarter or even in th- or even like you know early third quarter because again you'll get into a situation where all the pressure's on him and he's feeling it and he's running around trying to do something crazy. I, I don't know that this recipe for success long term in the game. So you want him to hold off on that. You want to say, hey, bro, we need you to be Superman, but just don't, you know, chill for a little bit Yeah, before you do that. Yeah, I, I think that's totally fair. Uh, one other thing that sticks out to me here, I'm looking at DVOA, and the 49ers are only 25th in the NFL in special teams rank. Yeah, Moody's not very good as a kicker. To no, he's not, and I'm sure that's a big reason why they or are what they unreliable. are. But you look at the Chiefs having Harrison Butker, I mean, that could be a big swing in the game. And we saw last year special teams have a big swing in the game when you look at Kadarius Tony in the power return. Now, I have no idea if Tony's going to play or not. Um, I have no idea who <laughs> it will seems be. Like he could, I guess. He could. Sky Moore. No. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe Richie James. But I feel like that is an edge on paper for the Chiefs, which can't hurt. Yeah, it should be. Yeah, it should be. Listen, listen. Does the conversation need to be had about Harrison Butker greater than Justin Tucker? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Does that? Do we need to have that conversation? Uh, I don't is it know. too do soon? We? Is it too soon? I do. We really want to get into kicker discourse in Dude, our Super Bowl the, preview. It's the, it's the Super Bowl. All discourse is on the table. Okay, but they're not even playing Justin Tucker. Well, I'm just saying, in terms of in terms of that being an edge for the Chiefs, it's clearly it's an edge level. over Jake Moody. Yeah. yeah, whether he is better or worse than Justin Tucker does not matter. <laughs> um, yeah, I I go back and forth on this because. I think one thing that I've found interesting is when you look at the history of football, and I, I don't know, this doesn't mean anything because what you know the Packers did in the 60s has no impact on, on what the Chiefs are doing now, but I do find it interesting. Every decade there's been a different dynasty in the NFL. The Green Bay Packers were the dynasty in the 60s. Um, in the 70s, you have the Pittsburgh Steelers. In the 80s, you have the San Francisco 49ers. The 90s, Dallas Cowboys. 2000s and the 2010s, you have the New England Patriots. And every single one of those dynasties, they had a a team that won back-to-back. Packers did it in 66-67. Steelers did it twice in, in the 70s. 49ers um, did it back-to-back years in 88 and 89. Uh, the Cowboys did it in back-to-back years in 92-93. And then the uh, Patriots did it twice, too. 03-04, and then they did it in the, the mid-2010s, too. Chiefs have not accomplished that, and it doesn't take away from what the Chiefs have done if they can't. But my point is, history tells us that a lot of times the dynasty wins back-to-back at some point. And that's what the Chiefs have the opportunity to do right here. So I don't know. I, I just find that interesting that history would point you to maybe thinking this would be the case. And if the Chiefs win this game, we're going to look back on it. Maybe not us specifically, but like I think from a national perspective, it's going to be looked back upon like, how the hell did we let Patrick Holmes be an underdog in three straight playoff games? No, I know. You know? It, it, well, it's so funny, right? This, the, the, the Sunday or Monday after the game, right? Whether it's the Bills game or the or the Ravens game, mm-hmm. what's the di- what 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 is the discourse? Why was Patrick Mahomes an underdog? This dude, you should never never count Patrick Mahomes out. Never. And then by Friday, it's oh pff, Niners easy. 
Niners, easy. Ravens, easy. They're, I mean, pfft. yeah, of course. Of course they're the better team. Of course they're going to be Patrick Mahomes. It's insane how quickly that, that shifts throughout the week where it's Monday morning you roll in and it's how did we possibly underestimate Patrick Mahomes? This dude's the greatest. I mean, we, we need to stop doing that. We need to stop underestimating him. And then you turn on your TV on Friday morning and it's Blah, blah, blah. Brock Purdy, Super Bowl champion. Here come the Niners. Yeah, Niners. Woo! How does that happen? How does that keep happening? I don't understand. It's a it's a vicious cycle that is wrong every time. Because, again, how do you keep letting Mahomes be an underdog? And, and you know, we, we kind of saw this earlier in the week with, with the opening media days where Chiefs were getting booed and, you know, they, they're the villains. I think the Chiefs like being that. I think the Chiefs are comfortable being that. I think the Chiefs like being underdogs. Mm-hmm. I think the Chiefs are comfortable being underdogs. They like that chip on their shoulder. They prefer to have it. They prefer to have all the negative discourse. They like all that stuff. They 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 eat it up. It drives them. And that's the crazy thing is, is to your point, you have a team that is on the verge of, or you could already make the case for, being this dynasty-level team being the next New England Patriots, the next Dallas Cowboys, the next fill-in-the-blank. And yet, they are still looked at as underdogs. They are still looked at as not the favorites. They are still looked at as this team that has flaws, that can't win the Super Bowl. It it doesn't make any sense. Because, uh, you know, I I don't know. I mean, when you look back, and I mean, you know, you and I weren't around for a lot of those dynasties, but like with the Patriots, like, was there the same level of, of doubt in them early on? Was there the same level of questioning of Tom Brady, of Bill Belichick, as there is this questioning of Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes? And what's even more bizarre is, like, with the Chiefs, they're just fun-loving guys that like to win. And people hate that now, yeah. I guess. I don't know. Because, like, at least I could get it. You know, the, the Patriots were cheaters. You know, they, they did this different stuff, deflate gate, all this other stuff. Right, like I get it. I get why you would be mad at the Patriots. What I mean, what I mean, besides you know, with Mahomes, I know people don't like Brittany, and you know, Jackson Mahomes isn't the greatest guy in the world. But like, what what is there to really cling to in terms of sure. hating the hating no, on these people? Guys? Just get fatigue. You know, I mean, Andy Reid is on one hand is universally beloved as as like the greatest coach or the you know the coach that everyone loves around the league. But still, when it comes to building a dynasty, it's. Oh. Man, these guys again? Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, guess what? These guys again. Keep planning your praise, Chiefs, because it's coming. All right, well, that one, you can be listening to it right here on KLWN on Sunday. Pre-game 1 o'clock with Westwood One coverage kickoff at 5.30. We're going to talk more about the game throughout the hour, including some prop picks coming up next. Lee Sterling of Paramount Sports. Then we'll get to our game picks, prop bets, and some college basketball uh, picks as well coming up the rest of the hour. More KU basketball talk in the 5 o'clock hour, including some audio from Parker Brown, our KU basketball game picks for the Baylor game, and more. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, depending on it. Half past the hour on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson, and it's been a while, been too long. Lee Sterling, Paramount Sports, joins us now. Lee, thanks for coming on the show. Is he's going to help us preview the Super Bowl, give us some picks for the game, some prop bets, everything yeah. like that. Um, so you're actually going to be doing as your main bet here. Instead of picking, you know, one side, one team, you're going to be doing a six point teaser. Uh, tell us how this works and, and what you're going to be going with. All right, so what that is is you can manipulate the line on the game and the total 
six points either way. The only thing is you got to win both wagers. So you don't want to do it in college. I mean, in college, your scores, you know, 52, 42. Uh, but in the NFL, most of the totals are in the 40s. So you have a much better chance. And um, here's how I see the game. Let me first do – let's do some player props first, and then we'll get to the game. Is that all right? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So I, I feel that – San Francisco has got to try to stay in this game and not let it get away from them. They don't have much of a chance, in my opinion, if they fall behind like they did against Detroit and also against Green Bay. So for that being said, let's look at some more of the rushing totals on their team. And and I think that Christian McCaffrey could play over 88.5 rushing yards. Also like Debo Samuel a lot, over 13.5 rushing yards. Here's a guy they haven't given the ball to him rushing very much lately because he's been hurt. But, I mean, he can go over 13.5 yards in one carry, and I think he's going to get three, four, or five carries. So uh, I like those guys as far as their rushing totals. Brock Purdy's passing yards, 247.5 total yards. The Kansas City Chiefs haven't not only not allowed a 300-yard passer this year, they haven't allowed a quarterback in the 17 regular season games or the three playoff games to throw for 260 yards. I mean, Brock Purdy barely got in the 250s and the 260s in the two playoff games only because their team was behind. They had to throw the football. So I feel pretty confident we'll win at least two of those three plays. And then on the other side, Kansas City, Patrick Mahomes, I don't like the the, the total yards passing. I think that's tough in the 280s. But how about let's go with the longest completion under 35 and a half yards for him. Just don't think he has it down the field targets. I do, though, like Travis Kelsey over. 70 and a half receiving yards. He went over 70 receiving yards in all three games, and he's just unguardable. And here's a team prop that I like a lot for Kansas City. We'll go under five and a half penalties for the game. Just feel that they're a disciplined team. They've been there before. They're not going to, the moment I don't think is going to be too much for them. The only things they really get penalized for is their left tackle once in a while get a penalty for holding. So, other than that, it's a well-disciplined team. I mean, both the totals on the penalties for both teams is five and a half. Just shows you, you know, they're probably not going to beat themselves. Well, uh, when you look at the 49ers' run defense, maybe hasn't been quite as good as you might expect. Would you do anything with, with any of the running back props for the Chiefs? You know, I, I, I've, I'm just going to stay away. I just don't have a real good feel, even though Isaiah Pacheco, Pacheco has looked really good as late. Uh I would look maybe at Brandon Ayuk first catch over thirteen and a half yards. The the depth of his targets has averaged fourteen and a half yards. I don't see him throwing a, a flanker screen to him early. If it's something it's probably gonna be a third or second down play and they'll throw over the middle where it'll be fifteen, twenty yards, so I like that. So, got to stay in your wheelhouse. You know, there's 580 prop bets. You you go crazy on these prop bets. Remember, the the juice isn't 10% on prop wagers. It's usually 15 to 20%. You go six and five, you can break even. That's it. Yeah, that's that's good to know. Uh, what about some of the stuff that's happening outside of? I yeah. guess just the stats of the players. National anthems, obviously a big one. I think yeah. the over under is 90 and a half seconds. What are you going with yeah. there? So 
as you know, my daughter sings national anthems, and she has correctly predicted nine years in a row. Wow. The over-under. So I gave her the assignment last Saturday. And usually I hear back from her in like an hour, and she'll have her prediction. I didn't hear back from her for about five and a half hours. And then all of a sudden I got a call, and she was excited. I'm like, oh, so did you get busy? She goes, oh, no. She says, um, there's 22 YouTube tapes of national anthems for Reba McIntyre. She's been singing since the mid-1970s. She started singing rodeo national anthems. So she's done two World Series in 97 and 99. Of the 22, only three went over. Now, a lot of people are betting the over feeling it's a Super Bowl. She'll milk it. My daughter doesn't think so. She says she clips the end of her phrases. She's 68 years old. Vocal cords thin out over time, and she says she's uncomfortable. She's just uh, just comfortable in who she is, and it's not going to change all of a sudden her pace. Uh, uh, what she's done, the most recent one was like a minute twenty-two, minute twenty-three. So that was in two thousand seventeen. She feels it's going to go under ninety and a half total seconds. Taylor Swift is going to be talked about a lot during the Super Bowl. The over yep. under those five and a half appearances. Yep. How is that measured? One and, and two. What do you like on that? So it's measured from the start of the game through the final whistle, not after the game. So here's what I know about that. So I've seen these props up before. Let's say Peyton Manning. They'll have something up. How many times will they show Eli Manning during the game? And they'll put up like like two and a half. And people figure, oh, they're going to show him, you know, when, when Peyton does something good, throws a touchdown pass, he'll go three or four easy. Well, they usually only show him once. I just think that they're going to be telling the cameraman, listen, okay, if he scores a touchdown, we're showing, uh, we're going to show her. But if it's a first down, I don't think that's anything special. I think what they're going to do is, if it's a, a third down, big third down conversion or one-handed catch, third and 15 situation, then they might end up showing it. I think it, she's only going to be shown three or four times tops. I'm going to go under five and a half appearances for Taylor Swift during the game. I know you don't have this on there, but uh, is there is there anything that you would – I guess, preach to people who are interested in putting something down on, like, Super Bowl MVP? Like, are you only can, you can go with quarterbacks at this point in time? Or, or yeah, well, I, I would that? say this. I would say Patrick Mahomes, if you like, Kansas City. I mean, Isaiah Pacheco would have to run for, like, 180 yards, probably, <laughs> for him to get the MVP. Just not happening, in my opinion. If there is going to be someone that breaks through, it might be Christian McCaffrey. He'd probably need 140, 150 all-purpose yards, and they'd have to win a game, I don't know, something like 17-14. So it's tough to knock out a quarterback being the MVP. And uh, Christian McCaffrey, though, if you, you want to take a flyer on someone, he's probably your guy for, for the 49ers. All right, any other ones that, that come to mind in your teaser? All right, so there's a, there's a fun one. <laughs> Found this. If you – they have – did you see they have the doink cam this year? No, I did not. So they have a camera on both uprights and crossbar of each goalpost. So if you can bet on will either kicker hit the uprights or crossbar on a missed field goal 
for extra point. Not a made field, can't hit the, the post and go through. On a missed field goal, an extra point at plus 400. I think a lot of people are going to take a shot on it. I think it's a sucker's play. I'm going to go the other way. In fact, already bet at a late 500 to win 100 that there will not be either kicker uh, hitting the upright or crossbar on a missed field goal or extra point. Here, here's some Buckner. Everything's right through the middle. And if Jake Moody's going to Gonna miss something. He's gonna miss. Uh, he's gonna miss it by a lot. Okay, I like yeah. that one. So the uh, the the teaser for this thing. Explain how that works again. And uh, it's a it's a two team six point teaser. So the way that I'm gonna play it is I'm gonna take Kansas City. I, I just can't go against Patrick Mahomes. I mean, 112 dropbacks in the playoffs. No interceptions. No fumbles. Only two sacks for a mere minus 11 yards. I think they've got the best coach. He's 27 and 4 off a of bye. Best quarterback, best defense. They're ranked number 2 in the NFL and the best kicker. I'm going to if they lose, I think it's going to be a very close game. I'm going to move them up from plus 2 and a half to plus 8 and a half points and I'm going to take the total which is 47 and a half, move it down to 41 and a half and play the over. So, I have to win them both. We're going to go with Kansas City plus eight and a half and the over 41 and a half total points. All right. Well, Lee, I appreciate it. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Thank you so much for your time. Okay, guys. Take care. All right. That's Lee Sterling, Paramount Sports, joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're going to take a time out, get to some of our game props and picks for the game coming up on the other side with RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. It's that time of the week on Rock Chalk Sports Talk for game picks of the biggest games ahead from this weekend. Well, that sounds great. And you know what? It'll be nice having a little extra cash to bet on college football. Right here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Yeah, I'd like to bet 100 bucks. You want to pick a team? No, just take it. All right, time for our game picks. This will be the last time I have to embarrass myself with these. That'll be good. You've been, I mean, you, I were, above you were bad so early. Fine. Yeah. You were bad early, that's but you true. rallied. I was worse in college football. Good news is these are all NFL. I was, college basketball. I was really good, actually. You are uh, 120, 96, and 6 in all of football. Mm. NFL 58, 36, Sheesh. and 3. You've gone 6 and 0 oh since the division round. Damn. I am 113, 104, and 5, 53, 42, and 2 in, in the NFL. Yeah. And sucks. first, we're going to start in the NFL with uh, some prop picks. Jersey okay, number okay. of the first touchdown scorer over under 22 and a half. Mm. Okay, so let's break this down. For the Chiefs, Mahomes would be under 22 and a half, obviously, if you were Correct. to like, rush for a touchdown. Rush or receive. Uh, Pacheco, under. Yep. Rushy Rice, under. Yep. Travis Kelsey, over. Mm-hmm. Kadarius Tony under. <laughs> MVS, Cole under. Cole Hardman, under. Cole Hardman, under. under. So you probably, from the Chiefs' standpoint, it's Kelsey and that's it, basically, right? Right. Kelsey is a big one. Then you go to the Niners. The Versus Niners. McCaffrey just barely over. McCaffrey is over. But Debo, Debo under, under. And Ayuk under. And Ayuk under. But Kittle over. Yep. And Purdy would be under as well. And, and then yeah. if you wanted to go like in the weeds, like Kyle Juszczyk would be over. So I think you are you probably have better, more players on the under, I think. More better odds on the under. But, uh, more players, but the big guns are more on the over. I'm going to go with the over. I think it's going to be McCaffrey. I think it's going to be Yeah, Kelsey. for me, this really comes down to, I almost view it as like it's basically McCaffrey and Kelsey versus the field. Most likely, you know? Yeah. 
I'm going to go the under, though. I like okay, having the, under? the increased spread. Though. Yeah, I mean, the guys that I'm worried about are Debo, Rashi, and Pacheco. Mm-hmm. Those are the three that I'd be worried about. That would go under. So that'd be so. But I'm, I'm going to stick with the over, though. Okay. Stick with the over. I'll go with the under on that one. Mahomes over under 260 and a half passing yards. Yeah, I mean, it feels almost sacrilegious to bet under Mahomes on passing yeah. yards, right? Like, it's Mahomes, you know? So, I'm going to go with the over here. Uh, but, you know, you go back to last year's Super Bowl, he only had like 180 passing yards in last year's Super Bowl, I think. It was a game where the, the Eagles had possession for a lot of time. The Chiefs started getting the running going. They had the yeah. one defensive touchdown. They had yeah. the punt return. So, it certainly limited the amount of yards that he had the opportunity to have. Yeah, uh, so but- far this year, he has hit... 260 or more passing yards. Not that many times, actually, right? Nine occasions. So okay. basically 50 50. 50. Give me the over, man. It's Mahomes. I mean, it's it's Mahomes. Yeah. Over. See, but I, that makes me wonder if you, the, the betting play is to take the under. No. Like Vegas is being like, everybody's just going to take the over. It's Mahomes. Maybe. Maybe. Well, guess what? If that's what they're thinking, they suckered me in because I'm taking the over. And they suckered me in, too, because I'm also taking the over. There we go. Bang. Rashi Rice over under 67 and a half receiving yards. This is maybe one of the toughest ones uh, that you that we have that you put together on this list for me. I'm going to go under because here's the thing with Rashi Rice. The way the Chiefs utilize him, he's they don't throw him the ball downfield that much. He's definitely more of a guy that's a quick screen, yards closer to catch. line of scrimmage, yards after catch type player. So he could have five or six or even seven catches and not get to 67 yards, right? If he's throwing bubble screens and he's getting, you know, short, shorter gains. So I'm going to go under here because I think it's more likely that, again, he could get six or seven catches, but maybe for only 50 or 60 yards because he's, they're going to be throwing it to him more underneath versus him. The, the issue you run into there is what if he breaks one open, which I guess is possible, but I'm going to go with the under. I, too, am going to go with the under. You have this injury that he suffered during practice where apparently he injured both ankles. What? You didn't hear about this? I did not hear about he that. He suffered an injury in practice yesterday where he got, like, rolled up on both ankles got injured. Oh, wow. He was questionable for the oh, game. I didn't realize. I feel like he's going to play because it's a Super Bowl, but that could limit him. Also, in the playoffs so far, he did have 12 for or eight catches for 130 against the Dolphins, but 47 against the Bills, 46 against the Ravens. Yeah. I'm going to go under on this, too. Yeah. Isaiah Pacheco's over/under rushing yards is sixty-seven and a half. Yeah, I'm taking the over here uh, because I and I think this is a requirement. I think if this bet goes under, the Chiefs might not win the game. <laughs> so I'm gonna go over. Uh, I think Pacheco is gonna be required. I think the Chiefs are gonna need to give give him the ball and get him going, uh, and he can stampede around, you know, do his thing, run like he's mad at the ground, Tasmanian Devil, fill in the blank of all your Isaiah Pacheco rushing jokes. Sixty-seven and a half. Give it to me. Over. What if the 49ers hear all week, like, oh, you're going to run the ball, and then they just focus so much on stopping the run, and then Mahomes goes off? That could definitely happen, right? <laughs> I mean, I guess. I guess. Yeah, I, I for a second thought that, like, I was like, well, he could still have, like, 62 rushing yards, and, you know, you go under there. But uh, I'm looking back at the, the totals recently. I think he got, he, didn't, he had 68 exactly against the Ravens, right? This is, uh, yeah, he did. This is his rushing totals since the bye week, so November on. Okay. 66, 89, 55, 110, 26 in that dumb Raiders game, 130, <laughs> and then the playoffs, 89, 97, 68. I think the Chiefs roll with him. Yeah. I mean, think about it. In the two playoff game, two of the three playoff games, he has 24 carries. Yeah. He only had one 20 or more carry game in the regular season. Yeah. I think They're clearly more happy to ride him. Now. Yeah. I agree with that. And I think they should. I, 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 I think they should. I agree. They should. So I'd go over as well. Chris Jones, over under 0.25 sacks. This seems silly. 
you tell me that Chris Jones is not going to get half the over a sack. Over is also juiced up to like plus one thirty. Or you, oh, you mean the under? No, the over. Oh. The under would be uh, minus one something. So then, why do they think Chris Jones is not going to get a sack? He only has what? Uh, he has the the two sacks he had against the Bengals, and then the half sack against the Dolphins. Those are the only sacks in his playoff oh, career. So are they saying that Chris Jones is not a PTPer? I guess not. Not a prime time player. No, I'm taking the over here. Obviously, I, Chris Jones is. He's. I think. I think he's going to have a good game. Mm-hmm. I think he's. I think the Chiefs are going to say, "Chris Jones, go do your thing," and he's going to bull rush some of Memphis right into Brock Purdy's lap. And he's. I, I mean, the 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 problem you run into in here is we've seen Chris Jones have games where it's like, "Wow, this dude is literally like, yes, like the eating Chargers this kid's game where it lunch took forever to get the sack. And, he had like ten pressures. Yes, and he's just dominating all game, but he doesn't get a sack." I guess that's possible, but um, dude, Chris Jones, yeah, sack, Big Mac sack, come on. I'm they gonna still say do that. I still think Big Mac sack. Yeah, you get uh, yeah. Bowen going free Big yeah. Mac. Yeah. I, I'm gonna go over on this too. Um, the 49ers, Trent Williams, the best offensive lineman in the NFL, but the rest of the offensive line is okay. Is yeah, questionable. I think Jones can take advantage yeah. on the inside. Over under for the game is 47 and a half. Yeah, I went back from this one. I will go with the over. Although I wasn't totally sure. I thought about the under for a long time, but I'm going to go over. I think this, I, I get the sense that this game might play out similarly to the Chiefs-Bills game. That's the sense that I get. Where you're going to see some longer possessions. I think the Chiefs are going to be comfortable allowing the Niners to move the ball with the ground game a little bit. I think they're going to try to limit the deep, the deep threats, especially early in the game. But I think that's going to result in the Niners being able to move the ball and score. And I think the Chiefs are going to be able to do the same thing. I think, I think they're going to be efficient. I'm going to go with the over here. So I'm going to go under. Um, and I know I mentioned, you know, earlier in the show that in the first half or in the second half, Chiefs unders are like 17 and 2. Yeah. But I'm going to I'm going to stick with the six. Was it first half over. or second half? Second half. Okay. Second half. Chiefs defense has been elite in second halves. I'm going to go under. I do think as much as the 49ers have unbelievable weapons on the offensive side of the ball. Good news for the Chiefs, two stud receivers. Guess what? You have two all-pro corners, you know, with Sneed and, and McDuffie. Um, although I don't think Sneed was officially named to it, but basically he is that level of player. Um, you look at the 49ers' defense. The defensive line is really good. They haven't played up to the talent, so I don't know how that'll bear itself out in this game. But they have really good linebackers. Uh, they have a good enough defense that I think they can prevent the Chiefs from scoring 30 points. I, I think this one will be a little bit lower scoring. 24-20, 24-17, 20-17, 17-14. So I like the under for sure. Yep. San Francisco 49ers minus two versus the Chiefs. I am going to go with the – no. No. Are you kidding me? Brock Turdy? I'm going to bet on that clown? No. Chiefs. So <laughs> I uh, I don't know. To be, I mean, like, you can convince me the 49ers have the better roster – better overall team that this would be a full circle moment for them as a franchise you lose the Super Bowl to the same team three four years ago you come back around to it you well, get the win. But let me ask you this storybook in who had the better roster and the better team in the AFC title game it wasn't the Chiefs it was the Baltimore Ravens and that's what I keep and coming back to they took that L right what I keep coming back to is Patrick Mahomes Andy Reid Steve Spagnolo in a Super Bowl I I just Again, and like I, 
And listen, uh, how are you going to continue to make Patrick Mahomes an underdog in the playoffs? The you know? Chiefs have felt that sting before of right. not having of being robbed of going back to back, right? Mm-hmm. When they lost to the Bucks. I guarantee they don't want to feel that again. Yes, 100%. Okay, uh, what, what about the Gatorade color? If the Chiefs are winning it all, what oh, Gatorade, Gatorade color are you picking? Ooh, um, I'm going to go with blue Gatorade. Mm. Blue Gatorade. Blue Gatorade. Uh, I'm going to go orange. Okay. Orange is my favorite color. So why Orange not? is a good color. Plus yeah. 300. By the way, purple is the favorite. Uh, yeah, who, who decides what the favorite is? That's the logo, so maybe that's why. Of the Super Bowl? Know. Yeah. Oh. What was it last year? I don't even know what it was last year. Okay, uh, Super Bowl MVP, take two. Uh, for value purposes, I'll take Mahomes because if I think the Chiefs are going to win, I think it's Mahomes. Uh, my long shot, I'll take Chris Jones as my other MVP potential. So I'm going to go with Travis Kelsey. The narrative with the Taylor Swift thing, twelve to one odds, dude. Social media, Twitter would be blaze, yeah, on fire. It'd be horrible. I don't. I, I honestly don't want Travis Kelsey to win the MVP. I'm going to go Mike Edwards. Too, Mike Edwards? Because here's why. Wow. Mike Edwards has two defensive touchdowns. He has 201 odds to win this thing. If the game is 20 to 14 and there's only four total touchdowns, somebody has like a pick six, Yeah, you can win the award. Sure. Last year different because it was so high scoring, even though Bolton had the touchdown. If you do well, it in this if, game, If Bolton score, had two, right, you maybe you could have given it to him. And that would be equivalent one in a lower scoring game is like two in a higher scoring game. Sure. So Mike Edwards, sneaky pick here, 200 to one. Wow. Uh, what is your lock of the week? I'm going to go a little bit off the beaten path here with my lock of the week. I'm going with largest lead of the game under 13 and a half points at plus 110. Okay. I like That's that. So close game. I think it'll it's going to stay a close game for the most part. I think, you know, one team might get up 10 maybe, but give me under 13 and a half points for the largest lead of the game. Okay. I like that one. Um... I'm going to go with Patrick Mahomes over 25 and a half rushing yards. So, if you look at his Super Bowl career. He scrambles a lot in the playoffs. He does. In the, the 49ers Super Bowl the first time, he had 29 yards rushing. In the Tampa Super Bowl, he had 33. In the Scrambled Philadelphia Super life, Bowl, he had 44, even with a bum ankle. He's gone over this every Super Bowl he's been in. Well, but he had that one, like, 25-yard run in the, I know. In the, against the Eagles, right? That was with a bum ankle, too. Yeah. So he's gone over this every Super Bowl he's played. That's my lock of the week. Mahomes over 25 and a half rushing yards. Mm, like it. All right, I don't think like we have more? time for the college basketball ones. So. I like the Chiefs more. Okay. Oh, oh yeah, I didn't even – yeah, I forgot about the college basketball. Whatever. Yeah, okay, whatever. I don't have time. Yeah, uh, I mean, I mean you said it earlier, there's there's not a single top 25 college basketball game besides, Except for KU besides KU, which we're going to pick here in our next segment. That's so right. Works out. That, Rock Shark, Pick a Hawk, KU Basketball Audio, coming up next. Two hours down, one to go. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Shark Sports Talk on KLWN, depending on it. Five o'clock hour, you're listening to Rock Shark Sports Talk on KLWN. Derek Johnson, Nick Springer with you. And thank you for joining us today. We have high school basketball later tonight with a pregame starting a little bit before 6 o'clock. And tip-off will be had at 6 o'clock with the Veritas Christian girls basketball team. And then the Bishop Seabury's boys basketball team will be at about 7.30. Nick will be on the call with Craig Hershiser. We uh, will also get some KU Baylor pregame audio from Parker Brown coming up later this hour. And don't forget, we got your KU basketball game Saturday. Super Bowl coverage with Westwood One coming up on Sunday. Wait, the Super Bowl Sunday? That's right. Oh, crap. I had no idea. start at 1 o'clock. Could you imagine doing a a four-and-a-half-hour-long pregame? (laughs) Would you just run out of things to talk about? <laughs> I don't know. You just, I don't know. Maybe not. I don't know. I guess theoretically, we're doing 15 hours a week of pregame. I mean, yeah, we do one three hours. For KU football games yeah. a week, right? Sure. Well, anyway, this will be my final hour with the show. So, uh, you know, 
pour one out. Get a little weird. Pour one out, man. Yeah. You know, it's Friday. Maybe you're out going to you know get yourself some drinks for the weekend. <laughs> pour one out for Big Dog. That's right, Derek. There we go. Well, okay. So Rock Chalk Big Hawk, we have a bit of predicament because this is my last show. Yeah, I'm 16 and 10. You were 10 and 16. <laughs> Theoretically, I've clinched you the championship. Clinched whatever anything. you want to say. No. Well, wrong. You, you even if you win this, it's sixteen to eleven. Well, that's do why we, we need make to... it worth more. Do we make yes. this worth six wins? Hundred percent. No, I... we can't make it worth six wins. Why? Because then we tie. But I think it in an ode to me dominating you this season, dude. You were up just as many wins last season. And I came back and won. So what do you have to say about that? But that's the thing. Like it, you should not be rewarded for sucking. <laughs> That it can all be swept away with one win. I should have the reward of I did so much better than you all season that worst case I tie, best case I win. You know what? I mean, it's your last show. But I, I want, you know, I'll just, just to make you happy, we'll, we'll do oh, that. Oh, thank you. That's fine. All right. Well, uh, r- reminder for our pick a hawk rules one point for every point the player scores, two points for every rebound and assist, three points for blocks and steals, minus one for every minute played. We toiled around off air with letting each other pick for each other's teams. <laughs> And just going for the disaster lineup, but we'll do it the right way. Yeah. Especially this well, you know, people forget you, it should only be thirteen to ten, because you <laughs> you we you wrongly counted two exhibition games, and then you Rightly gave yourself an extra you win because you agreed to it. <laughs> See, but that that adds to it. If we end up tying, you can be like, well, technically, I should be winning, even though we know that wouldn't be true. <laughs> no, okay. it would be true. Um, I have the first pick. Are you sure? I yes, I am okay. sure on this one. I'm gonna go Hunter Dickinson. Tried and true formula. Give me Hunter. Yeah, the thing with Hunter is like, man, even when KU loses or even when, uh, you know, there's issues with KU, somehow that dude manages to get 15 to 20 pickhawk points. It honestly doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. It, 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 I, it's rigged somehow. I don't know what he's doing. It's, it's incredible. Uh, I'll, I'll, take, I'll take Kevin McCuller. You know, he's been the next second most reliable player in, uh, in pickhawk to this point in the season. Even though he's had some games where he's been inefficient and has you know struggled a little bit more, I'll take Kevin. Now this next pick is pretty interesting because I think Johnny Furphy has become that third guy in a lot of ways for Pickahawk for Pickahawk purposes. But he's coming off of the worst Pickahawk performance of any player in the entire season, I think. At minus twenty five. I mean Amarco had some bad games. I don't think he ever had minus twenty five. So do I go back to the freshman? Back at home. And you know what? I'm going to. Johnny mm. Furby. Give me Johnny Furby. Okay. Back down under for your next pick. Um, I'm going to go KJ Adams. Yep. I think he has the opportunity to have a nice game because Baylor's content giving up those shots kind of in that mid-range little push shot area. Yeah. But the, does, does the continued lack of rebounding from KJ concern you? Yes. It absolutely does. And that's the risk. Just got to hope that number's a little bit higher in this game. And then, uh, you know, I think there's a couple options. I, I think you could make the case to go with Nick Timberlake after the comments from Bill Self last night, right, saying that we still believe in him and, you know, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Um, I just, I don't trust El Marco off the bench to put up good enough totals. Then again, this is my last draft here. I don't think I can afford to not have this guy. That I've had a majority of the time. Oh, You've been geez. nabbing for me so often. No, I, I am going Parker Brown. Yeah, the the problem with having the second pick is it's really hard to justify picking Parker Brown third. Mm-hmm. But if you don't pick him third, he's definitely going to get picked next right. in the 4-5 spot because of the fact that you have four starters 
that are pretty reliable. But Dewan, you never know. And then Parker, you know, right? So, yeah, I mean, I couldn't justify picking him over Johnny Furphy at the three spot, but that the 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 ultimate result of that is is that then you get him for free, basically. So that kind of sucks. So, I I think I have to pick Dewan Harris. You know, he's coming off of his best game in Big 12 play uh, against K-State. We talked about it. He's coming off his best game. He's had now five days of rest, or he's going to have five days of rest going into the Baylor game. So that shouldn't be too much of an issue. Maybe this is a game where Dewan, you know, gets things going again. I'll go with Dewan Harris as my next pick. And then uh, I have a last pick, right? Yeah. Well, I have one more pick, but you do oh, have my your last, last pick. pick. Yes. Yeah. I could go with Nick Timberlake. I could go with Omarco Jackson. I could even go with Jamar McDowell. Or if I think KU is going to absolutely beat the brakes off Baylor and Michael Jankovic is going to get out there and shoot some shots, I can go with Jank. But no, I'm going to go with Nick Timberlake. You know, I've been a, I've been, I would say, I wouldn't say stalwart believer in Nick Timberlake, but I've been on the more positive side for Nick Timberlake, I think, most of the season. So uh, I'll, I'll ride with my boy here, me, Nick Timberlake. Yeah, I, I was hoping Timberlake was going to fall to me. See, now I, I don't feel great because I don't think this would be a game the walk-ons get in. I don't really want to take El Marco Jackson. When KU's up 30, they're going to get in. <laughs> I'm going to risk it with Jamari McDowell. Mm. I'm worried that he wouldn't get in the game. All I need is one or two minutes. Negative five. All minutes. I need is one or two minutes. Or in the case of the K-State game, he didn't even get one minute. He yeah. got like 20 seconds. And that would work. That would work in this game. Do we need to change it to where he actually has to no. get one minute? You come in, you play. <laughs> That's all that matters. I don't know about that one. That might be a little bit of a loophole. Well, my last show, my last rules. Fine. About that. I, I okay. guess so, yeah. Uh KU basketball game picks. You are 32, 30, and two. I am 37, 25, and two. Kansas is minus six and a half against Baylor. Yeah, we were talking a little bit uh before the show off air about how you felt that, that line is would be a lot lower. And I think what does Ken Palm have it as? Ken Palm has it as a three point game. So six and a half. That's a lot. That tells you what that tells you what uh, the books think of Allen Fieldhouse. I do right? wonder. That, too I mean, that's, that's got to be all Allen Fieldhouse, right? I think it's some Allen Fieldhouse, and I think it's some of Langston Love, who we talked about earlier in the show. Good player for Baylor. He's averaging eleven points per game, but he's shooting fifty three percent from three in Big Twelve play. Yeah, forty nine percent on the season. He is a game time decision. And last year, they had L J Cryer listed as a game time decision for two months. So, <laughs> I think it has something to do with that as well. Is that uh, is that clown Drew messing with the? It might be messing with. But the, see, uh, what gets to me is like even if even if he's out, Baylor still has like three or four other good guards. Yes, you know. Yes, they have five guys that have average double figures. Right. So if they lose one, guess what? They got four more. That's the thing. I came in here being like, you know, I'm so excited. I'm going to take Kansas, my last show, and everything. Six and a half is so many, man. This is a top fifteen showdown. I'm taking Kansas. I I'm going Baylor. I'll pick Kansas to win the game, but six and a half. I thought it was going to be like. And three. I was I was trying to tell you, you know, listen. I was going to take like show, three. If it's your last show, nobody's going to be, you know, Six take Kansas. Half. Who cares? It's your I want to pick what is right. I don't want to just pick the pick. <laughs> okay, the over-under is 151 and a half. Uh, I'll go over. Kansas scores a lot. Baylor scores a lot. I have no reason to believe that this game is going to be a defensive game. Uh, so I think this there probably will be some points. I'll, I will take the over. So the weird thing about Baylor, even though they're really good on offense, not good on defense, they do play at a slow tempo. They yeah. are uh, 13th like, in Big 12-only games in tempo. Yeah. And 14th they're in, the, in they're average possession. In league. the 300s in uh, in tempo in the country. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to actually go under. I think it'll be a little low scoring. Uh, there's no mm. props up right now, but if they were, what would you go with? I would go with uh, I would go with DeWan Harris 
over one and a half threes. Mm, so even if it was one and a half. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I like that one. I'll do it. Hunter Dickinson over .5 threes. Okay. He's you think bound, he's finally hit one? He's bound to get off the Shania he's eventually. He's one for his Let's last 80. Yeah. But you one think for his it's last 17. Yeah. One for his last 100. He's going to do it for my last show. One for his last 5,000. One for his last 1,700,000. <laughs> he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Parker Brown Audio next. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. That'll do it for our show today. We're going to switch over to coverage for high school basketball with a 6 o'clock tip scheduled for Veritas Christian Girls Basketball against Care Paravel, as well as the boys game between Bishop Seabury boys and Care Paravel. After that, at about 7.30 over at Bishop Seabury Academy, again with Nick and Craig on the call. KU Basketball on the airwaves tomorrow, starting at pregame 3.30 on KLWN and 105.9 KISS. Westwood won coverage on Sunday with the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, beginning at 1 o'clock and kickoff at 5.30. That's going to do it for us today. That's going to do it for me here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk and KLWN. And um, once again, this has been an unbelievable opportunity for me. I went from a college student who interned here on the show, eventually started working part-time, built up into a full-time position, uh, had so much fun working as the producer and co-host of the show with Nick Schwert. And then when Nick left, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to accomplish things I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to take the show to the next level and I've had so much fun and it's been such a rewarding challenge doing just that and from you know going from Adam and Lane and and now Nick uh, the other Nick I guess with Nick Springer um, it has been an unbelievable honor everybody that I've gotten to sit across with from the amazing guests that we've had on whether it's just been one time or if it's been weekly your, your time has been so valuable, and I'm so, so, so very thankful for you coming on and, and help making the show what it is. Um, to all my former co-hosts, thank you so much for everything you do. To uh, Craig Hershiser and Matt Llewellyn and, and some of the people, Nolan Henderson, that we've been able to do you know high school games with, thank you so much for you know adding to the fun and everything. To the co-workers here at the station, thank you guys so much for you know helping uh, each and every day as, as part of the station, and this has been a wonderful job for me. Uh, I, I've been given so many creative freedoms and liberties in doing this show, and I, I feel like we've been successful and I've had so much fun. Thank you to everybody for listening. You you seriously make the show what it is. We could not do it without you because otherwise, you know, what would we be doing it for? And thank you to everybody who joined trivia and making that honestly what I'm gonna feel like is uh, the most I don't I don't know kind of fun I had during the off season and, and some of the cool things that we had the opportunity to do and, and interact with people so much so that um, I I, I want to do something with it I don't I don't know maybe do a trivia meet and greet or something at some point in the off season I I don't know haven't totally thought that through. But uh, thank you uh, again to all of you. Thank you so much to Brian Haney, who started this show and has been kind of a mentor all along. And thank you again, man. Uh, Nick Springer, unbelievable. He is going to do a fantastic job in my absence. He works so hard. He is a very talented broadcaster. Big, big things are in store for him in the future and here with the station. So thank you so much to Nick, who always... Um, was able to keep things a good time and always had a great attitude coming in each and every day and made my life so, so much easier and so much more fun to come in each and every day and work. So I love you all. Thank you so much. And I'll uh, talk to you in, I guess, other avenues and other facets. I'll continue to do, you know, play by play with Baker and, and do my locked on show. Uh, but outside of that, I'll be a little bit less out of the uh, public scope. So thank you again. And uh, if you see me around, 
you know, and, and you let me know you listened to the show or something or you were part of trivia, I'll, I'll try to buy you a beer if I can if we were in the uh, right setting and everything. So thank you again. Thank you so much to the KLWN family. Love you all, and have a great weekend. Go Chiefs in the Super Bowl, and uh, I guess see you whenever I see you.